You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Thank you for joining us today for another thought-provoking episode of Western Sydney Health Check. Before we begin, I need to flag that this conversation may be distressing for some listeners. Today, we are discussing the sensitive topic of suicide. If this raises any issues for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Joining me today is Rowena Saheb, a mental health project officer with Western Sydney LHD. Prior to joining us, Rowena was a mental health and wellbeing promotions coordinator for Western Sydney University, where, as a public health practitioner, she supported student wellbeing. As part of this work, she was awarded the Barbara Hocking National Memorial Award for Education in recognition of her efforts, and her team also recently won the New South Wales Mental Health Matters Award for Best Wellbeing Project. Rowena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Harrison. To begin with, could you please just explain your role to us and maybe help us understand, you know, what's the difference between a mental health project officer and, say, you know, a a counsellor or a psychologist? Sure. Um, As a mental health project officer, my my role is project-based, so I'm a non-clinical role. That would be the best example of how I differentiate from a counsellor. I work from a systems perspective, so we're looking at systems changes um, and, uh, again, around suicide prevention here. My role at the LHD, I am four months old (laughs) at the LHD and it's about operationalising the LHD's um, projects around towards zero suicide. Okay. Um, And that's a ministry-based project. So there's one of me in every LHD and the roles that I'm here to recruit will also be replicated across all 15 LHDs of New South Wales. Brilliant. So rather than working with individual people, you work with our system, essentially. Absolutely. So my role here with the LHD as a part of Towards Zero Suicide is um, three main initiatives that have fallen under the realm of the LHD responsibilities. The first is um, creating an alternative to ED service, which I could talk about for days. So maybe not today, but um, it's a great service and we're hoping to roll that out next next year. The service is about creating a compassionate care environment for people who are experiencing suicidal crisis. Rather than turning up to emergency, um, it's about if if it's suitable and no medical care is needed, then they can drop into an alternative space and get that support from peer workers. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a new way of servicing consumers around suicide prevention. It's a non-clinical service, which is the main thing. Um, And the other one we're looking at doing is the Suicide Prevention Outreach Team. The acronym for that is SPOT. And that's a mobile service with a mental health clinician, actually a senior mental health clinician and a peer worker. And they go out as a team of two to people in the community, in their homes, or even like, for instance, with a GP. If someone's experiencing a suicidal crisis, they can go and support them in their environment. It's a way of, it's a real consumer-driven focus on service delivery. Rather than doing what works for us, let's try and change things and do what works for the consumer. Absolutely. So it sounds like we're really rethinking the way that we deliver mental health care and and, making sure we're doing what's best for people in a crisis situation. Yeah. So I think the main thing is um, mental health care, yes. And I think the LHD coming here again, four months old, we, it was really nice to see from inside the service what we do. And I didn't actually know how much we do from a mental health perspective. Mm-hmm. With the Towards Zero Suicide, yes, there are people who 
um, are experiencing suicidal crisis who are known to the mental health services, but they don't always have to go hand in hand. So you can have uh, a suicidal crisis with the absence of a mental health episode or a mental health diagnosis. Wow. So for someone, for instance, there are a lot of socioeconomic um, stressors that may cause someone to think about taking their life. Um, Mm. I think the Brain and Mind Centre, for instance, did a really good piece in a predictive analysis where they showed, uh, they look at economic data and health data and the intersections and predict health outcomes. And as a part of that, there's actually um, an online Again, the Brain and Mind Centre, big plug there, did a virtual workshop, which was really good, and a presentation. And they showed that any time there is an economic crisis, you see the rates of suicide and mental health increase. And they showed, particularly in our current environment and the changes we're all experiencing, what that might look like. So it identifies a real tangible opportunity for us to activate and operationalise as a community around suicide prevention and do things to prevent um, those kind of increases in trends. Wow. So it sounds like you've really joined us at such a crucial time uh, looking at the economic and health and social difficulties that we're having at the moment in Australia as a result of COVID-19. Is that daunting for you? Um, I think, yes, it is a crucial time, but I think the crucial time's been around for a while. So if you look at the stats around suicide, um, up until I think the 2018 stats, you have eight Australians that take their own life by suicide every day. So yeah, I think we can agree that losing one life a year to suicide is too many. um, And unfortunately, the stats are actually more dire than that. So in 2018, we lost over 3,000 Australians um, to suicide. And um, research shows that for every person who actually takes their life, 20 people try to take their life. Mm. So when you look at what those numbers translate into, about 65,000 people tried to take their own life, um, which, yeah, we were in crisis well before COVID yeah. around suicide. Um, I think the other thing important is in addition to, like with most health outcomes, you have priority population. So I think I really do need to acknowledge our Aboriginal population who are overrepresented in the data as with a lot of health data. Um, we have our rural populations as well who are overrepresented and the male population also, which um, a lot of people don't realise. So more females research shows, more females try and take their life, but more males take their life, hmm. um, which is, and the age groups, and there's a lot of data around that and all of that data has been taken into consideration in our planning of how to operationalise this at our LHD. So when you look at how much is invested into, for instance, road toll debts, um, Suicide, I think, is more than double Wow! every year. Okay. So, and particularly for young people, mm. um, it's a leading cause of death for people between 15 and 44. Mm. That so really puts it in perspective. It really does, yeah. I think we can all think of um, road toll advertisements that we've seen on TV, but it's much more rare to see awareness of mental health and, and suicidality. Um, We're getting better. We are. We're getting better. Yeah. So... Can you talk to me more about this Premier's priority, as you said? Um, it's a pretty ambitious target towards zero suicides. What's some of the work that's actually going on in this space? Sure. So um, one of the things about towards zero suicide and the thing that I really did like about, or do like about it, pardon me, it's about coming together across sectors and health and services and community-managed organisations, 
primary health networks. It's about getting everybody involved in the conversation and actioning mm. this piece of work. Um, to, sound, to sound a little cliched, I think it's, um, you know, suicide is everyone's business and they've told everyone you have business doing this work, which has been really good. Um, from an LHD perspective, we have, every LHD has three projects, two of them I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, alternatives to eating and then the suicide prevention outreach team. And then from a health service perspective, there's a, a change model or systems-based approach that's called Zero Suicides in Care. And it's about reducing the number of suicides in care. Um, and it's not only looking at it from a numbers, it's not a quantitative approach to suicide, it's a qualitative approach. What can we do to build our capacity and our capabilities as a staff, as a service, as a community? Who do we need to talk to? And it's really creating those strong pathways and relationships and fostering uh, collaborations. Mm. So by having everybody involved in the conversation, you can identify the redundancies and the gaps and work together to like really create that circle of care around consumers experiencing the suicidal crisis. So that collaboration, getting everybody involved, making it everyone's business, is that part of what you do? Uh, yes, it will be. Um, no pressure. Again, four months. I'm keep say- I keep saying four months. <laughs> um, at an LHG perspective, um, the re- so prior to me coming on board, not taking any credit, um, so uh, the mental health services of Western Sydney LHD and our primary health network, which is the PHN, went west. We developed a regional plan. And that's a regional plan that identifies joint priorities around mental health and suicide prevention. And a part of that will be potentially creating a collaborative to get people physically in the room to then make those alignments. But the way they've created these suite of initiatives falling under Towards Zero Suicide, they've identified four for you, five for you. So everyone already knows what everyone's doing. I think one of the biggest things about service planning and trying to make a real difference for the community is that transparency And because we all know who's involved and there's a lot of transparency around the different approaches, it's it's already created this kind of scaffolding for us to build those collaborations on, which is, I feel really empowered by it. That's great. um, Yeah, it's it's exciting. It really did. I think the other thing that really attracted me to Towards Zero Suicide, particularly from a LHD perspective and I guess why I applied for the role, um, they've really put a focus from an LHD services point of view on peer workers. So I know you did a wonderful piece on peer workers recently. Yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah. Great people to talk to. Exactly. So the peer workers are people who have lived experience. Um, I share this and I know I've shared it with you before. I have a lived experience of suicide myself, both a personal experience and as a carer. And when I applied for the role and as I was reading through the position description, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. It's one of the first times I've seen... Um, in a professional space, people acknowledging the value add and the knowledge, uh, both in service planning and delivery, by that's there to be kind of gained from including people with lived experience. Um, in the past, I don't know, I've always felt it's, it's baggage you bring to a workplace, mm. but it's really nice to bring my experience that may have carried some shame in the past, which doesn't now, I'm... I'm I am who I am now because of my experiences, but it's really nice to have your executives and your planners and your, you know, the ministry recognising the value add you bring Mm. um, with your lived experience rather than kind of baggage not to talk about. Wow. So if that's how I feel as a staff delivering a service, um, 
I feel positively about the service we're going to create working with other people with lived experiences. Thank you so much for sharing that. And when you say this is something that you might have felt shame about in the past, but not now, do you think that's personal growth in you or have you seen a change in the way we as a society talk about this or is it both? Mm, I don't think I can talk as a society as a whole. Mm. I would say from me and my perspective um, and having the privilege of working in the mental health and health promotion space and speaking to people who are always encouraging you to talk about and and destigmatize mental health and um, suicide ideation and then, you know, destigmatize it, talk about it, normalize these conversations, just as like you talk about what you're doing on the weekend, but be comfortable and create these safe spaces actively. It, it encouraged, I think from my point of view, I feel that we are more ready to have these conversations mm. and the reinforcement from the ministry and health and service planners to say, you know, we as a greater people are ready to have these conversations and listen to you and tell you what we're doing might not be working. What else can we do? That is empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. It was nearly 20 years ago now when somebody I was really close to died by suicide. And before that point, it was never something that I'd thought about, never something that my family had talked about. And at the time, it still felt quite shameful and I didn't feel like there were many people that I could talk to about it but I definitely feel like there has been a culture shift since then and people are more willing to talk about their own mental health and people they care about but what do you think are still the barriers there what's holding us back from having these open conversations talking about mental health the same way we would about physical health for example I think thank you for sharing firstly there's best practice around language to use And I think that's a really big step in answering your question as well, using the right language. So a lot of people used to say committed suicide. Mm. Committed suicide was used when suicide was illegal. And that language is carried on because you're committing a crime. Wow. So we strongly advise not using it. So full credit to you for not using it uh, automatically. That was was empowering for me to hear you use the right language. Um, And that is really important as well because all of these little things reduce stigma. And also things like using attempted. Attempted isn't preferred as well because if you attempt something, it implies that you failed because mm. you're attempting. Try again. Reattempt. Wow. Um, so we use the language around try, took, took their life by suicide, died by suicide, or tried to take their life. Um, and we also don't use things like com- completed suicide because when you complete something, it's associated with success. And clearly that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so go back, but going back to your question, I just wanted to acknowledge you for, and thank you for sharing well, your story. Thanks for explaining that. <laughs> I didn't know that, so that's <laughs> helpful to know. Um, I think your question, going back to your question about why do you think it's, e- your question was why do you think it's easier to talk about it or? Or what, what are the barriers that are still, that are still in there? place stopping us from talking about it? I think when you speak to community I would rattle off probably four things. The first one is still the stigma there. It's still, uh, what's wrong with you? That Mm. blame game um, that people play with themselves and with others, that's Jack, if we can get rid of that stigma, that'd be great. The other thing is culture. So I have an Indian background and if you have mental health or if you're mentally ill health or anything like that, 
my language, I was born here, so I do have a pretty decent grasp of the language, but I think the only equivalent word to it is something like crazy. Mm. So how do you, from a cultural perspective, explain to someone that you're not mentally well rather than physically well, you can explain that. But other than referring to yourself as crazy, how do you communicate that? So sometimes even having the language to communicate what you're experiencing or what you're feeling is really hard. And then also for the person who's receiving that information and how they take it. So a lot of it is about what you're communicating, but how that person's also processing what you're communicating. So one of the big pieces of work, again, going back to towards zero suicide, is about increasing mental health and suicide prevention literacy, which is the main thing. If I can give you the language you need to communicate what you need, and if I can give you the language you need to receive that information from someone else, we're going to go a long way in, first of all, starting that conversation. So one of the things um, around having the conversation, I'm also an Are You OK ambassador. Okay. Uh, it's a national ambassadorship. Are you OK? You go through a training program. You learn how to speak to people in community about suicide prevention. But essentially, it's about activating the community as champions um, and if I can have two minutes to just go through that, if I can get some key messages out, this is the perfect forum to do it. Mm. So I think one of the things people ask is how can I, as an average person, have an impact in this space? Definitely. And yeah. I, I think the main thing to understand is the average person is just a champion waiting to be activated. Mm. It's just about how do we foster that? How do we give them the confidence and how do we empower them to be the champion they can be? And are you okay? The reason and why I kind of has a very special place in my heart, is um, they were among the first people nationally, I think, to acknowledge the power of someone with a lived experience. So every Are You OK ambassador has a lived experience and they use their journey of recovery and where they are now to help the community, which is fantastic. Mm. And it's very simple messages. There's no medical terminology. It's about how can you know, two bros at the pub have a conversation. Yes. How can a daughter have a conversation with her mum? How can a teacher be more aware? And I think the steps are one, you stay alert. Just stay alert in your environment. Two is about trusting the signs and trusting your gut. If you feel someone's not doing well, ask the question. Don't tippy-toe around it. Just ask the question. You are not planting the seed. If anything, even if they say no for whatever reason, you've just let them know you're a safe space for a conversation whenever the need may arise. Mm. And then just go through the steps. And the acronym to remember is ALEC. That's A-L-E-C. Ask, are you okay? Listen without judgment, which is so important. Just judgment in verbal cues, non-verbal cues, your body language, everything. But listen without judgment. Let that person tell their story. E, encourage action. So in no way does Are You Okay say that by becoming a community champion, you need to take it all on board. Hmm. All you're doing is listening and being a gateway for a referral. Okay. So just upskill yourself on who is out there. So when you have that conversation, you're ready to go. Who can I call to get this person help? And the fourth step is to check in. So check in with that person. If you've encouraged a particular action, ring them up and say, hey, remember when we spoke, you said you were going to do this and you mentioned this. Have you done that? And if they haven't, use that time to open up that conversation and say, do you want me to make that call for you? Mm. So it's like that full circle. Yeah. Um, and I think the main thing to remember is when you're about to have this conversation, do a self-check. Are you in the right headspace to have this conversation? And if you're not, don't have it because it can be triggering for everybody. Just pick your environment. 
So for now, on live air, I wouldn't have this conversation with you. Of course. Yes. Pick your place, particularly in a workplace environment. Mm. Uh, COVID's made it hard to pick up on the physical cues because a lot of us are still working remotely. Mm -hmm. But if you see changes in someone's behaviour, just a quiet word, a phone call, not on Zoom, um, but just have that conversation with them. Yeah. And then I probably, the last thing would be um, just... Make sure you have the time because if that person is in crisis, they've been waiting for someone to ask, are you okay? Mm. And you've done that, but you don't have the time to give them that that conversation requires. Mm. You may just trigger them and then let them go. So just give the conversation the respect and time it needs. Yeah. And I think above all, show yourself the same self-care and self-love that you are trying to show others because we all need it right now as well. Absolutely. So let me make sure I've got that right. So if you trust your gut, notice something that's different with a friend or a colleague, or you just feel like you need to ask them. The acronym is ALEC. So A is ask the question. L is listen without judgment. E is encourage action. And C is check in later. Well done. Well done, you. Okay. That's a good one to remember, ALEC. That's that's great. Rowena, thank you so much for your time. That's about all we have time for today. But is there anything else that you'd like to share just to wrap up? Um, Maybe any message for anyone who's listening to this and and might be struggling or or noticed something's up with a friend lately? Have the conversation. Just have the conversation. You'll be better for it. They'll be better for it. If every day you can reach out and we've just finished Mental Health Month and the message was tune in. So tune in to your people, to your community, to your workplaces and just be aware. Make Make yourself a safe space for a conversation. Just practice in every day destigmatizing mental health, um, find ways to bring it up in conversation. If you, from an LHD perspective, if you want some training around, are you okay? Reach out, send me an email and Mm. I can organize that for you. Either myself or one of the other ambassadors can do like a half an hour session in your meeting. If you're not feeling well, call our mental health access line, the number there, 1-800-011-511, but in emergencies, obviously always triple zero. Lifeline is also there. And I know you gave the number right off at the beginning. Um, and I'm happy to give you more information if you need. Just send me an email as well to anybody in the LHD. I'm always ready for a cuppa and a convo. So, Thank you for sharing those lines. And I'll just share that again uh, once more with everybody listening. If anyone needs help, uh, you can find out more about the services that are available on the mental health access line. That's 1-800-011-511. And remember, in an emergency, please call triple zero. If you need someone to talk to, you can call Lifeline at any time on 13 11 14 and we're going to include more links uh, to more services on our website, thepulse.org.au. Rowena Saheb, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District.